Welcome to the AV Podcast Games Edition. Welcome to the second AV Forums Gaming Podcast with me, Mark Bottright. Joining me tonight is Ben. Hello. <laughs> Steve. Good evening. And Stephen. Hello. Right, well, kicking things off, we're just on the eve of a new console being launched on us. Will be by the time this is edited and with you. Nintendo 3DS. It's one in a continuing line of Nintendo's portable handheld consoles. Is anyone convinced by it? Is anyone significantly excited about it i very nearly bought one today actually what held you back well i, I, I went uh went into town i had a choice of either an ipad 2 or a 3ds and strangely enough there was no ipad 2s but there was hundreds of 3ds's available so um i think the, the deciding thing for me in the end was uh the games there's just no launch game lineup that looks anything special at all there's pilot wings for the the ones of us that are old enough to feel nostalgic about it. But outside of that, there was nothing really that excited me at all. See, that's the weird thing is that, you know, it was supposed to have been a, a huge, huge seller in, in Japan when it was released, you know, shifted about 400,000 units. But there was the big thing. They did have a new uh, Professor Layton out there <laughs> and they do seem to shift consoles uh, whenever they're released around christmas time they do seem to ship nintendo consoles like nothing else these days yeah it's a, a game for the masses um you know for the housewives and the, the younger kids every it's a universal appeal but to me personally if you're going to release a console and you haven't got a mario game there to back it up i, I think that's a, a mistake or at least a mistrick uh, from nintendo steve ben either of you really interested in this no you, or no not really um I'm I'm just not convinced by 3D generally, and I'm not convinced by 3D on a handhold specifically, and because I, I just kind of worry about what it would actually add, and whether or not, you know, once you play Street Fighter 4 in 3D, you'll feel like you'll never want to go back to playing 2D again. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I I would let anything out of it. I think the, the technology is interesting. You, know, you don't need glasses. Um, it works from what I'm told. I haven't seen it myself, but from what I've told, once you see it, you, you suddenly get it. I think that's, that's the big thing. How are they going to get it into people's hands before they buy it? That's the, that's the big issue for Nintendo. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair because I haven't tried it either. And perhaps when I have, you know, my, my opinion will be completely reversed. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of money, isn't it? It's a lot of money for something... Um, because what's it going for? About two, you can get a package for what, about 220 or so? 220 and uh, games are 40 quid. I couldn't believe that. So, you know, you're in for 260 before you've even started. And, well, that, and that's, that, you can get an Xbox, can't you? Exactly. You, you get two Xbox if you buy a second hand, you know, one for the bedroom, one for the, the living room. So, yeah, that, that was me out at that point. I mean, it, it's, a fair, it's a fair chunk of change, but it's, it's, it's a proven business model for Nintendo. I mean, you know, release something new, you know, the, the DSi XL will inevitably come down in price. And that, that's the one that I, I still swear by. It's, you know, I've been really surprised at how much it adds, just, you know, the extra little bit of screen size. But as you say, it, it's one of those things with the, with the 3D, whether you're actually convinced by it or not. If you're not, then there's, there's going to be very little that can sway you over. 
I mean, they, they've packed it full of different features now. You know, they've got, what is it, an accelerometer, I think they call it, and a you know little gyroscope and this thing where you yeah, street pass or whatever the hell it's called where you pass someone in the street with yours on and it, it you know it, it's they've put a lot of little things in there and they're still trying to push me's as well with the little me maker and trying to tie it in with the Wii and everything but you know really i think you hit the nail on the head when you said it, it, it all comes down to the quality of the games and if you if you've got the decent launch lineup then it it, it sells but how many people looking to buy this of the younger audience really remember the original pilot wings and would want to buy something you know from that nostalgic point of view exactly i totally agree and if you look at the box cover you know there's nothing to suggest that it's this um clever little game with uh, addictive little mini games throughout it it just looks very kiddified it, it doesn't look something that appeals to someone like myself who's in my early 30s with money to spend and uh, well into my games so again i think it's a mistrick by nintendo is there possibly an issue at the other end of the market as well, where they're trying to appeal to sort of older people? Because, um, you know, when you've got whoever it is, Patrick Stewart or whoever, sitting on an aeroplane saying, check out these brain teaser type games, what will 3D add for them either? Is that something that people are going to say, yeah, you know, you can improve your memory or uh, whatever, and, and it's not 3D and that will sell the units? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I suppose it depends how much of the, the 3D they end up pushing over the, the life of the product because, yes, it's a strong selling point for it, but apparently it's a very powerful little handheld too. So, you know, if there were a great game on it that had nothing to do with 3D at all, then, you know, maybe I would be swayed by that. If there was a launch title, in fact, that was just 2D, but a great game, then maybe I would have bought it today. But as it happens, the 3D is not enough for me. One of the things I think as well is with it being no glasses and portable, or what how does it hold up in different sort of lighting? scenarios if you're like sitting in the back of the car and there's a sunshine on the screen does that detract from the overall like the 3d or does it become hard to view it i don't i don't see how it's you know possible to make because with a tv they say sitting without with dim lighting don't they? so i don't see how they can possibly make it feasible that you have to sit in shadows or but on the on the flip side of um the technology uh if it works i, I read somewhere that there's a uh, an app where you can take notes. So, for example, you could be in-game and you could be uh, making a list of, um, I don't know, items you want to get or a map, for example. So you could be drawing a map in-game uh, and that would appear above the game that you're actually playing, if that makes sense. Yeah, so like, like layered, if you like. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So there, there's probably a lot of neat features that will, will come to fruition over the life of the product as developers... Uh, begin to understand what they can do with it and where they can go. But I mean, it isn't uh, coming back to the whole 3D element. One of the, the key points that's, that's been proven quite a lot with with the handheld market when you compare, say, the the DS to the the PSP and which games have sold, it's it's actually been we've seen quite a lot of traditionally 2D games. I if you, if you look at things like um, how the Castlevania titles have carried on on the DS because they continue to shift. And if you look at the, the launch lineup, there's a fair amount there. I mean, Street Fighter 4 3D edition. You're basically looking at a 2D game with a little bit of kind of extra bulk to it. You know, how much 
can they really get out of it? I mean, I think the only one that really seems to stand out would be Super Monkey Ball because, again, you're going into and out of the screen rather than kind of side to side. Stuff like that, like you say, like the Rayman. I think Rayman 3D is coming out as well. So I think stuff that was like that. that was in the store today. Yeah, it's definitely available now. Yeah, that's that's some of the because that's some a lot of people remember Rayman back on you know back in early days of gaming. So it's, I think that stuff, but. Like I say, because there's stuff like Splinter Cell 3D coming out as well, and there's only so much you can do with cause, like the Splinter Cell series is quite dead and buried at the minute. So there's only so many times you can ship the same sort of game out, but just say, "Oh, look, there's 3D this time. I will enjoy it now." You know, sort of thing. It's. I don't think it's something that's going to last for too long. I think it novelty of it's going to wear off eventually. But maybe then we're being unfair, you know. Maybe it's just a tiny element of the game that you can either tune into or, or tune out of if you choose to. Um, if they're still good games, then surely there's interest there to play them. Um, but it's just the titles didn't seem strong enough at this point. Three months from now, who knows? Who knows what could be out? I'd be really interested to know, though, just how much more, say, it costs uh, a development team to implement a game for the 3DS than just the traditional DS. I mean, if, if you're looking at things like just updates for Nintendogs, things like that, is there really the, going to be the drive there, the, the impetus to push a developer to say that they'll spend the extra and develop a game for specifically for this new format when you've got... I mean, if you think of the base for DS, DS Lite, DSi, DSi XL... There are so many millions there. You know, if you're making something exclusive for 3DS and building it around specifically the 3D features, surely you're cutting out a massive amount of your market. Yes, good point. Good point. Um, I, I don't know how it works with uh, backwards com- compatibility. I presume you can play your your DS games and everything else. Uh, how does it work? Do you do you have save games? Are, I guessing I'm guessing you do obviously have save games on the DS. Can that stuff come over? Can um, profiles come over? Yeah, it's, it's big question. I, I think it's it, it's again Nintendo have sold it on backwards compatibility because, as I say, their marketing model seems to be trade in your old one, buy a new one. You know, get some extra features each year, which you know I'm as guilty as anyone of of carrying on with that. But I, I suppose I've just been let down a little bit by the, the DSi store that I expected big things from. You know, maybe I didn't expect them to quite be rivaling Apple and their apps or something, and you know, Androids or something. But it, there hasn't quite been the wealth of um, of cheap titles or you know homebrew titles that it could have promised. Yeah, and I think there's isn't there a dedicated store coming for the 3DS? But again, it, it's not ready for launch, which again seems a strange, strange way. I mean, why why rush a product out if one of the, the killer features is, is not ready yet? Strange. Particularly if you consider, I mean, it's coming out, it, what, end of March? You know, it, it's it's not like it's being pushed for, you know, a big Christmas release and therefore they have to get it out to cash in. You know, the weather's just turning right now. You know, it, it's not really the time that everyone's saying, I must go out and buy a new console. Yeah, going, going head-to-head with the iPad 2 as well is an interesting one. Yeah, well, I think they've, they've certainly, they certainly know what they're doing, put it that way. I mean, as, as much as we might 
seem like naysayers or, or should we say just a little little bit of trepidation about whether this is going to fully deliver on the promises that Nintendo make. They know what they're doing. They've, they've shown it time and time again that even when they have, say, necessarily the, the more underpowered um, version out in the marketplace, in the mobile marketplace, they still manage to dominate. And they have done for, God, what must it be, about 20, 30 years now since the original yeah, Game Boy was out? Huge profits, and I grew up with a Nintendo, and I want to see them do well as a company. And really, when you think about it, the whole generation of kids that have been playing Wii's and DS's, you know, by the time they reach their early twenties, they will be Nintendo customers. They'll be loyal to Nintendo, and if Nintendo can grow with that generation, you know, there's no reason to say they can't jump ahead of uh, Microsoft and the PlayStation in terms of popularity. It's just about timing their products with that generation coming of age so you know I, w- I would i would never never knock them i would never um bet against them let's put it that way very good point but one company that may be betting against them is uh sony just well i say just we we haven't covered this because we're only our second podcast but the ngp you know the psp2 has been announced it's you know lots of rumors about price points and we've got all the well, a lot of the details about the technology that's involved. Is this going to be a serious rival this time around? Have they learned from their mistakes from the PSP? I think it's still aimed towards the more serious end of the market. Obviously, Nintendo are kind of more family-friendly and more child-centred, but I think Sony is sticking to the guns by saying this is a more adult-oriented handheld, if you like. But I think they've learned from the fact that, because they've listened, obviously, because they've actually included two sticks on the actual console, which is a godsend at last. Um, But I think the only downside of it is going to be the actual price, like you say, because the PSP Go, if you've got a bundle for that, you're looking at prices up towards your top-end, you know, new PS3 bundles. So I think, like the 3D, I think we're saying that the price has got to be right to entice people to buy it. Like, Like Stephen said today, he could have bought the DS, but there's no out there with it to justify the pricing so i think they need to get the launch of its spot on the pricing and the titles to go with it the only other um dual core uh processor i I can think of in a product at the moment is the ipad 2 i know i keep going on about the ipad 2 apologies (laughs) but um it's expensive you know you're talking 300 plus for this new sony unit at least in my mind if you're putting that level of technology in it. Uh, and I can't see how they can afford to lose money on hardware again, considering how badly burned they got with the PS3 for the first two years of its life. So I think, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, it, Sony, in the console realm, they are looking like they're making Rolls Royces when, you know, a larder will do. They, they're shoving in so much technology. I mean, when you go back to like when the PS3 was was released, how many people genuinely thought to themselves, this is brilliant, I'm buying a cheap SACD player. You know, the Blu-ray playback, okay, that's that's pretty much helped win, you know, a format war. But what is, you know, things like GPS, uh, you know, 3G, is that really what people are looking for from just basically a handheld console? When you come back to the previous point about the 3ds that one of the big sellers that shifted uh units in japan was professor layton 
you know, it, it wasn't anything. I mean, okay, it's a big title in that it sells, but it wasn't anything that fantastically utilized, you know, massive processing power or anything. It was a puzzle game. You know, it had a few 3D bells and whistles on it, but it's a puzzle game. It's like Steve said before, isn't it? It's different markets for the two different products. I think the the like you said, the um the PSP two, I refuse to call it the ridiculous what is it, next generation portable. The PSP two uh is gonna um be aimed at a uh, the more sort of hardcore Claude Lamer. It's gonna be uncharted they're talking about is that they're talking about that for a release launch. Yeah, I think so. Is that yeah, and um I mean I think I th- I think that's where they want to win people over. Um, the hardcore gamers say, "All right, I want that experience on a portable. I want that, you know, seven eight hour campaign on a portable." Or is it just the truth that handheld is now more or less casual, and that's what it's about, and that's all people really want to buy? Because that's certainly where the money is. You only need to look at the, the iPad or you know the iPhone. That's where that's where portable gaming is at the moment. Can we stop mentioning Apple products? <laughs> <laughs> I'm touching my iPad as we speak. I, I don't want to know. <laughs> I think, um, I don't know, I commute four hours every day, so that's 20 hours a week. I'm not sure I want to play a really in-depth campaign or um, an Uncharted game during that time. A casual game probably suits me more, I think, that's probably the same for everyone else. If it was that involved, I'd probably end up missing my stop and end up in Dover or, or somewhere horrendous. So, um, yeah, I think casual gaming possibly is really what people want from Portable these days. Apologies to any listeners in Dover. Sorry, yeah, not Dover's a lovely place. I just meant it's horrendous for me to get back home from. So, But, I mean, yeah, yeah you make a perfectly good point. I mean, it, but is this a lesson that Sony have, actually learn i mean the original psp basically fought the same battle surely which was look you've got a a a playstation or you know people were liking it to a playstation 2 in your pocket you can play you know a final fantasy game won't that be brilliant and people found that they preferred games certainly for portable gaming that they could dip in and out of and certainly when you've got say something a, a portable console that's costing the same as you know your, your ps3 or, or your xbox 360 if you're sat say in your living room in your bedroom and you've got your console there and you're hooked up to an hd tv why really are you gonna you know start up the ngp why you know at least with say the 3ds you're getting something different i mean is the is the GPS anything like that? Is is the touch screen? Is that going to be integrated enough to make it worthwhile, or is it going to be again extra little bells and whistles like you know Wi-Fi and and Bluetooth and things that just aren't really that integral to the gaming experience? Certainly not for handhelds. I think with it being touch screen this time around, I think it opens up like the um, the minis aspect of thing that you can now because you've started seeing stuff like Angry Birds come onto the PSN. When that's, now exactly, touch screen. that's exactly the problem, isn't it? Like, why? I've, if you've got um, an iPhone, sorry, sorry to mention Apple again. Why do you want to go out and pay however many hundreds of pounds for a, um, for a PSP two just so that you can have the same games in your pocket and play them on the train? Good point. No, e- exactly. That's that's the I suppose the the big dilemma, which is 
if you're releasing a, a handheld console right now, uh, you know, a, a year, a, two years ago, the mobile gaming, this idea that, that people would be gaming on their mobile phones was a little bit of a laughable idea. It, but the technology has moved on so quickly. I mean, when you look at the processing power and some of the, you know, the, like the latest Android phones and the like, it, it really is closing that gap. So is this almost like a, an opening volley from, from Sony to really push the boat out to show that there's still life there and there's still a, a, bit, of, a bit of a chasm between you know, something that you make phone calls on and a, and a proper handheld console? I understand the the need for connectivity. I think really casual gaming is as much about um, killing a, a bit of time as uh, bragging rights with your mates. Uh, I love beating my mates' scores on their phones so that every time that they go to their phone to try and uh, play that game, they know that that number there was, was put there by me. So I can see why Sony want 3G on there and Wi-Fi on there because that makes sense. Uh, if you're going to have bragging rights and little competitions between your mates outside of that you know i don't know um i think the points you made you made before were valid um but in terms of competitive gaming they're, they're key the funny thing about that i do find about the the ngp psp whatever psp2 whatever you want to call it is that a little bit like when you know the, the six axis came out without rumble support and it was you know it was last year's technology and that you know motion control in a in a in a joypad is going to be the next thing and basically it wasn't it sony seemed to learn their lessons in time and what really draws me to to this now is that second analog stick because if there's one thing that i, I always felt could have got the top trump could have beaten the ds's games was that a proper console these days you come to expect two analog sticks and the type of games that you can play properly on such consoles is completely different i mean first person shooters straight away you know can you really play that with a single analog stick could you you know you can't even really do it that well i know metroid had a had a good little crack on the ds but touch screen just isn't enough you need the two sticks these days it's it's almost core to what Virtually every developer now puts into practice. I mean, even like stuff on, and there we go again on App Store. You even see touch screens. You have the two thumbstick circles on the screen, don't you? So that just shows how much of a, I'd say, a key is to having two sticks, so you can control it laterally and horizontally and vertically. It's just something that has to be there. Yeah, totally. Uh, interesting that you mentioned first-person shooters. I dare say, if you get a Call of Duty game on there, it will sell by the bucket load. Um, to me, it sounds crazy that someone would want to go to work on their journey to work, be playing Call of Duty or, or something like that and in their lunch break and then on their way home. And then when they get home, then be playing it again from uh, the time they arrive home to, to before they go to bed. It seems crazy to me, but you still know that that would sell by the bucket load. In your lunch hour, if you can go to a restaurant that's got free Wi-Fi or something, if you've got a you know Call of Duty 3 sale on there and you can just get out the... NGP and just have a quick blast on multiplayer, something like that in your lunch hour certainly would. I mean, that would sell it by itself. Of course, yeah, of course. But it'd be so small, wouldn't it? So small and so inaccurate. No, I can't imagine kind of pulling out a sniper rifle. I don't know. It just doesn't. 
I think it, first person shooters is an interesting one because as as it clearly would sell consoles and it is really exciting. But I think the practicality of it, I can imagine playing it and just thinking, I, I want to be on a proper console with this. Yeah, no, I completely understand that, and that comes back to the whole question of what you know, what exactly do handheld consoles do best now? You know, is it is it more is it easier to create small little social experiences and, and fun little casual games, your Nintendogs or little um, puzzle games with more simplified graphics? Can you necessarily get, um, you know, that accuracy in, I mean, I think this screen, was it 960 by 544? You know, how much detail can you cram in there? Particularly if you've got, you know, bullets flying from every different angle. Having said that, I'll still buy one. (laughs) And I'll I'll be there first in the queue as well. Yeah, I I can't wait for it. I think it does sound exciting. It's just, um, have they learned from the mistakes? Most crucially, have they learned from those mistakes? Yeah, it's an excellent point, actually. If you've got, what do you got, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and 3G, I mean, having any of those on for a significant amount of time, I mean, it, it looks so damn slim it, it it's got to have a, a fairly decent battery in it but is there always going to be that little nagging doubt in the back of your mind like um oh god i'm going to mention an apple product again but like <laughs> you know the first iphone or like anything like that the first one is usually the one which is almost just an opening foray and you you find that its battery drains in you know a couple of hours and then it's usually the second revision that in fact has worked out you know that balancing line between form and functionality yeah of course it's got to it's got to be portable above above everything else if you're going to sell a portable product it's got to be portable so you've got to fit that battery in and it's got to last uh, i think firmware has a massive part to play as well if um the way you design your your software to to use the hardware that's in there that can make a huge difference to how the battery lasts so Considering they'll probably be a company which want to revise the firmware every so often, especially with the mistakes they've made with uh, the PlayStation 3 and all the piracy issues that that's having at the moment. So it'll be a constant, you know, it could be fine one minute and they could bring a new firmware out and then suddenly that could kill the battery. So many things to manage. They're they're very bold, I think, bringing out something like that, considering what else is in the market um, with Apple's products and with Nintendo, obviously, that have cracked it already so going from well two of the three major manufacturers of consoles these days onto the third microsoft with a couple of job listings a few eagle-eyed people picked out some choice lines such as the team was responsible for defining and delivering next generation console architectures from conception through implementation and a lot of people have started to wonder whether this means that the new Xbox may be upon us sooner than we think, and what this means for the current life cycle of consoles. So, what are people's thoughts about it? Is it much to get excited about, or is it just an online conspiracy? I think it'd be ignorant to think that they haven't been working on it. I think they'll have, in the back of their mind, they'll have had something going, you know, in terms of trying to source material to put it together and thinking about the processing power and stuff, but I don't think there's going to be any sort of solid working prototype just yet. I think it's kind of just in the in the process of the finalization of the details because I don't think 
Microsoft are ready to launch another console yet. They've already said that Kinect's going to add another three, maybe four years onto the life cycle of it. So I think, I think it's coming, but not for another two, maybe three years just yet. Anyone differ from that? So Steve <laughs> reckons probably, what, 2014, 2015, something like that? 2013 probably, I'll, t- I'll, I'll call 2013. All right, well, you've got that in the sweepstakes then. <laughs> 2014. Um, yeah, I'm going to be the optimist. I think E3 could see an announcement. I think the technology now is so old, and I think they're aware of that. I had a look at um, graphics cards uh, before we came online today, and if you put all of the graphics cards in a, uh, a list and rank them by their power, uh, the graphics card in the Xbox 360 would be about 85th on that list. It's old and tired, and it could be potentially so much more. Um, they also need to get developers on board. That's going to take time. I mean, if you're someone like uh, Respawn, for example, uh, the company that came out of um, the demise of Infinity Wards, then really you're probably going to be looking at next-gen console to be the big-ticket AAA title the makers of Call of Duty, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're going to need time to, to get that out there. I think if you announce it um, for end of 2013, then that's 18 months for people to get their act together, for them to steal a bit of thunder away from the 3DS and the NGP. It's quite clear they're not going to jump into the handheld market with those guys doing that. So surely they're putting all their time and effort into a, a new console. It, it just seems right to me. I think there could be something special at E3. What do you mean, no handheld? You you don't think they're going to keep supporting the Zoom then? <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. I, I think they have already um, pulled the plug on the Zoom. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it just makes sense to me that they'd be plugging away, doing that in the background. You know, Microsoft is still the biggest of the biggest. Um, I'm sure that they would have had teams of hundreds beavering away. Um, now they're just looking for the right right members of staff to bring it together at the right time. And, and, and surely they would have realised putting that ad out that the internet being uh, populated by geeks would have picked up on that and uh, the rumour mill would have started. <laughs> the rumour started early. <laughs> We're all geeks in one, one way, shape or form. Yeah. You can't help but feel that, that, you know, maybe they had some smart PR person who's said, put this out there. You know, someone will obviously pick up on it and it gets huge amounts of tongues wagging just from a, a couple of minor lines yeah and the, the games industry is very small um at the end of the day if you want to start something like this you can't do it quietly you can't do it covertly someone will talk somewhere and it gets leaked somewhere else surely better to do it with a a big announcement with lots of fanfare um and, and basically catch catch your rivals with their pants down <laughs> So we, so we, all think that pretty much it's still going to stick to traditional, what five, six-year console lifespan. Then, oh, they're I they're not going to spring anything on us too soon. You know, oh. it'll it'll build for a while, and they'll probably buy up a couple of studios in the interim. Yeah, you 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 know, you got two two big fish out there in um, the company that came out of Infinity Ward, uh, Bungie. Now, of course, are, are doing their own thing. Um, but it still doesn't mean that they won't want to develop for, for new platforms. And um, 
the, 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 the groups of people are out there. It's just if you can get them on board and say, right, let's do this. Let's, let's bring out this new hardware. You make a, a special game for it and let's just take over again. Well, I'll be watching E3 with eagle eyes just to see whether you're right there, Steve. Right, well, that's all the major console manufacturers rounded up. But what has been going on in the actual world of games, what we actually play? Well, big title from Sony. It's onto its third installment now. It received tons of hype for the first, even more hype for the second, thanks to some uh, clever footage that may or may not have been real. And now we're on to the third, Killzone 3. It's really Sony's big first-person shooter. Does it live up to expectations? Did they hype it enough this time? Anyone have any thoughts on that? It's good. No. There's no denying that it's not good. You, there's, I don't think there's any sort of level ground where you can say, oh, it's worse than this, this, or this, because it is at the height of its game. It is like a leading first-person exclusive for Sony. Like you say, it's up there with the best. I mean, in terms of graphics, the fantastic in places. There's the gameplay. I mean, Killzone 2 were good, but this has been they had jetpacks and they've added like very different sort of settings, like they're in the snow, the jungle. And it's really good. I mean, there are a few problems with it. I mean, every game's got problems, but I mean, like, I know one major problem with some people is the voice acting or the and the story. I think that's a sore point for many of them. Terrific. See, that's my major problem with this. That's that's it. I mean, it's it's not bad. It's 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 verging on satire. It's. <laughs> it, it's well, I, I haven't played the campaign at all, but I know they've got some um, some famous voices in there. There are Ray Winston's in it. Um, who else is in it? Uh, I think Malcolm McDowell's in it. And, uh, Malcolm McDowell. So are, the, are these the guys that are letting it down or other people? It, it's not so much the actual quality of the voice acting. Right, I but, see. The, but, the dialogue. Uh, yeah, basically the, there's only so much you can do with it. The, you know, so many. It's it's one of those games where it, it almost feels like someone's decided to throw in a healthy bit of swearing because it'll get kids tittering. You know, it's it's your typical meathead marine type thing where everyone goes to save one man who's behind enemy lines, and you're supposed to be rooting for them, but you inevitably end up losing at least a couple of dozen men trying to get to them. And you can't help but feel, should you really have bothered? You know, th there's lots of big, you know, <laughs> jump from an explosion. Oh, no, you know, what's a, what's this shit? No, not again. Uh, I'm That's not leaving you behind. All that kind of thing. And you just, it, it just feels so, so hackneyed, so cliched. But in a, in a strange way, it's, it's, it's quite compelling because it's so bad. That I it, suppose the... Sorry, Mark. I suppose the dilemma is if you're developing a game, are you going to go and spend money on writers or do you just do it in-house or do you just get cheap writers? I suppose we're all in, a, in an age where we expect um, narrative to be on the level of the movies and the TV shows that we watch, but they're all very high-end products with, with you know, very famous uh, writers attached to them. So this is probably where games fall short. They've got all these guys that are masters of developing and writing code, but when it comes to actually writing a story and dialogue, they haven't got it in the locker. 
But that's the that's the problem, isn't it? Because they're going for this great kind of cinematic experience, extended cutscenes and all of that, but they haven't got any substance to back it up. And you know, I've been really reluctant to talk to anyone about Killzone 3 because I actively disliked it. I thought it looks like Steve said, you know, graphically brilliant, sound is brilliant. But I I think it's one of the final nails in the coffins of, of the, in the coffin of the current crop of first-person shooters for me. I'm just so tired of the, you know, the interplanetary states of America or whatever, the, you know, the ISA in Killzone, and you know these kind of big, muscle-bound idiots like poorly scripted characters, totally two-dimensional, just kind of running around shooting things. Enter an area; it's fairly linear. You take out everyone, you know, duck and cover poor cutscene and repeat all the way through it really up until playing crisis 2 last night which i actually quite enjoyed i thought having played Killzone 3 just a single player campaign i thought i might actually be be done with this whole genre wow <laughs> yeah i really <laughs> felt i've really felt strongly it's more like what they're going for is like um some sort of schoolboy's testosterone fueled fantasy you know than than an actual solid uh, engaging, immersive game. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, sorry. No, I was just going to say it, it does kind of feel like it's it's a, a game made by uh, some kind of committee who've all been looking at what do you know teenage boys like or, or, or something like that. It, it's and the actual um, the first few hours of the campaign don't really do a lot even outside of the cutscenes, to dissuade you from that view. I mean, it, it throws in so many vehicles early on, different types of vehicles, lots of big explosions. You know, you get your hands on some pretty devastating weaponry fairly early on as well. It, it, it feels almost like it, it's thrown all of its eggs into one basket. It, it's trying to to almost do too much rather than look at what it does do well, which is... I mean, the cover mechanic works well. You know, the 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 AI of the Hellgast. I mean, it's it's certainly you know it's not the best, but it, they outflank you. You know, they they move around, they they cover for each other, they move in on your position. You know, so there's there's a good amount of fluidity in the gameplay. But if if they if they could have gotten rid of the whole Hellgast cheap kind of semi nazi metaphor you know they're, they're all wearing black leather and and seem to have vague you know badges that look like they're they're neo ss or something like that you know it, it's it's all just a, a little bit too samey yeah with with british accents it might be added <laughs> it was you know it's just one of the most it kind of boiled down everything that first person shooters is into like just you could see, like you said, they threw everything at it, and you could just see all of those component parts. You could see they someone said, "Let's have this, let's have that," and for me, it's just it kind of destroyed any sense of cohesion uh, that you might have normally when playing a first-person shooter. I felt like I'd done all of, I felt like I'd done it all before, and I saw it through to the end. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe I just so that I felt felt like I could, you know, abuse it. And um, sort of say, yeah, well, I, I did see it through, but I, I really, from from about an hour in, I thought, oh, I just can't be doing with this. I think it's a sign of the times for first-person shooters. It's, it's pretty clear to me 
that maybe not all of the first-person shooters have come out, but a, a high percentage of them now are all about multiplayer. The campaign is something that they tack on or they rush through or they don't put a lot of resources on because to them the big selling point is going to be the, the multiplayer. Yeah, I mean, the, there's certainly a lot to be said for the multiplayer now. I mean, you know, there's I, I know so many people who... who don't even really bother with the the campaigns of first person shooters now you know it, it's straight into the multiplayer but i mean this i think it's was it about eight maps in total that it ships with you know you've got eight maps you've got i think it's three different game modes the you know it, you can't really say that they're giving you choice overload in the multiplayer no that's, well. that's that's true but one thing i'll, I'll say for guerrilla games is uh their map design and the detail that they go to is great. I remember very fondly Killzone 2 um, and the amount of time I spent playing that. I think I played it solidly for two weeks. And when I say solidly, I would wake up in the morning and I would play until I went to bed. It was uh, a real addiction for me for a while. But part of those maps suddenly became very familiar to me and the, 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 the battles you would end up having very concentrated fights for certain areas of of maps because of the way they were designed and they became almost familiar places like you'd almost been there it's a, a, a difficult thing to describe but that, that's one aspect of the game that they got absolutely nailed on yeah i mean as i say eight maps but they're pretty large i mean aren't they i mean they they they've certainly put a lot of thought there are certainly areas where you can see that they're they're channeling bodies down into particular places almost like they're orchestrating where the firefights will actually happen that's right yeah there's there's very clear choke points and the way that if you play the um uh the modes where the the different type of game revolves through in in a, in a single match so one minute you'll be trying to destroy enemy points one minute you'll be trying to capture enemy points the way they're they're placed is is very clever sometimes and they can really move the action around um it can be very frustrating if you're spawning the other side of the action every time and trying to rush back into the fight, but um, that's certainly one aspect of the game that I think they 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 really have done well on. So, do you think oh. they've got the the balance about right? Then, I mean, it's 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 a short campaign, but it, it's full of you know blockbuster explosions, and you get your hands on a lot of weaponry. And in many ways, you can almost see it as a a preamble to the real meat of the game, which is the multiplayer. I mean, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't even play it that online that much. I mean, um, I'll probably get nails for this, but I'd say I'm, I'm more Call of Duty sort of online. I mean, I haven't played Black Ops in ages, but it's better than it was. But Killzone Two, it felt too. I don't know. Just something about it where it controlled just felt like it wasn't quite as good or as easy to control. It kind of felt a little bit heavier. Yeah. They made a very definite choice to to make the the physics of the game and the the feel of the game different from what else was on the market at the time yeah I mean I mean, for someone who's gone from Call of Duty to Killzone it's kind of something that's put me off sort of I mean I did play it a little bit but not as much I didn't get addicted to it like Call of Duty where like I just play it constantly online and online but Killzone 3 it's better now it's a lot fresher than it was before I mean the cover's better the feel of it's better it's lighter to move and you don't feel like you're wading through custard anymore it's See, I, I enjoyed that. I, I quite liked it. I quite liked the variation, um, the, the difference. I liked the fact that it wasn't Call of Duty. I think that's what it appealed to me. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be bang on, but I mean, sort of, 
if it becomes like an issue where the controls suffer sort of in a sense the suffer that some people are going to have difficult with it, I think it kind of puts them off because they'll yeah isn't that yeah of course yeah it's always going to be a, a bit of a kind of balancing act between how much do you differentiate yourself and how much is that differentiation going to hold you back from people who you know download the demo they they blast into it i mean it, it looks in in places you know fairly call of duty ish you know it's it's seems modern weaponry there's no big kind of aliens as such so it's not falling into you know anything else you know the the halo mold or anything like that it seems well, this- fairly realistic so that's what people are going to come to expect and so they're going to judge it by you know the standard benchmark which for you know several years has been call of duty yeah i think a good point you raise and on the xbox if you play first person shooters you tend to fall on the side of either halo or call of duty on the playstation of course you don't have that difference um or sorry that choice of game so i suppose guerrilla games had the choice of do we put uh, a sky fi first person shooter out there or do we put a call of duty um competitor out there and i suppose they've tried to they've tried to meld the two uh and bring something in between um maybe if it was a little bit more sci-fi in terms of the the weaponry then they would tap into what halo fans love about halo as it stands to me i love it it works on on both levels i will try the multiplayer it's definitely worth it i think there's something about it that appeals um to someone that isn't necessarily in that that Call of Duty vibe. No, I, I certainly agree that the the multiplayer it, it feels it feels honed. It feels you know that I may complain that there's not as much choice as I would like, but it's certainly the level design. The I think there's you know I'd, I'd like to see a little bit of an update. I, I think a couple of the weapons are slightly overpowered for my liking, but. You always get a few little niggles, but so long as the the developer supports the community, you know, it, you know that it's going to get more out there. You can already get, you know, two extra maps for download content and that kind of thing. So it's it's going to have a, a a good lifespan, particularly when, as you say, that there's not that choice out there for for PlayStation Three gamers. Yeah, exactly. Guerrilla Games are very tuned into the community, and they're they're very focused on. Um crunching data and, and making sure that everything's running nicely. Right, well, I think that's Killzone 3 covered. Do we all agree that it's it's a reasonable game, except for Ben? No, yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. haven't played the multiplayer, though, so, you know, open mind. The thing is, for, for all I, I, I criticise the, you know, the voice acting and some of the, the hackneyed elements and that it's a, a game, a first-person shooter designed by committee by seemingly... PR people wanting to appeal to a particular market or something. I did actually really, really enjoy the single player simply for all of the moments of pure dumb fun that it does manage to crowbar into a throwaway story. So, so I'd say if you know, even if you absolutely hate the voice acting, even if you think the story is is pointless, and there are moments where you'll be absolutely hoping that the non-playable characters die a horrible death. <laughs> it it throws enough weaponry your way. It's, there are enough jaw-dropping moments where, you know, the dynamic lighting and, you know, the particle effects and the, and the explosions and the like 
and the score is also well worth a mention. You know, if if you can play this on a good sound system, it it, it does really kind of swell into the room. It it it's cinematic in in all the right ways, except for you know, as I said, a few of the problems with the the actual story and voice acting. But it, it's got enough bang for your buck there that it, it does feel like it has had absolutely you know millions upon millions thrown at it and it it just looks so stunning that i i think it's worth worth playing e- even if you're not gonna absolutely love it it's it's something that you, you have to at least have played particularly because there isn't that community for you know things like halo on the ps3 so it's it's a great chance to get involved in that community agreed yeah and i agree with your point it's a great looking game i'm not sure what else is out there that comes close to it on consoles? And it's actual footage this time, you know. It's not mocked up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they seem to have lived that down. They seem to have uh, at least come come up with something that uh, lives up to the, the hype, even if it is three years after <laughs> they originally put it out there. Well, I, I think they've, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes them. If, if they put something out that good looking, then it, it you know, it's... It proves all the naysayers wrong who said that it couldn't happen. That it, you know, that you wouldn't see something that rivals Gears of War. You know, it's the lighting effects in this are, are absolutely spot on, and they're, yep, yeah, right up there. I think multiplayer's top draw, uh, and you guys have at least wet my appetite for the campaign. So, I'm looking forward to that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still not convinced. I'm not convinced by the campaign. But what I will say is it, you know, it, it does look and sound fantastic. And especially if you've got a good setup, it's, it's well worth seeing. Right. Well, moving on to another big shooter that's come out that I know Stephen has enjoyed in some way. Homefront. Yeah, Homefront. It, it's kind of come out in between a couple of big ticket games in uh, Crisis 2 and um, Killzone 3. So really it kind of... a appeals to the crowd that have got a bit bored of black ops and, and need a bit of a, a fresh first person shooter fixed. I picked it up on, on launch day, took it home, threw it in and just found it to be a weird little combination of um, Battlefield and Ghost Recon. And initially I hated it. There was graphical glitches, lots of pop-ups, um, Admittedly, I didn't try the campaign straight into multiplayer, uh, as I do. Um, and initially, couldn't get a game with friends. Uh, took ages to get a game myself. Finally got into it. And it was interesting. The basic uh, difference you have from other first-person shooters is that you have uh, kill streaks already available to you. And when I say kill streaks, you have airstrikes and vehicles and rocket launchers all available to you from the off by way of battle points that you bank. So you start with a certain amount of battle points. You can use these straight away or you can start building them up. If you choose to build them up, then you can unleash a ton of airstrikes at the end of the game, for example. So if you're the habitual underachiever in Call of Duty and you can never get five five kills in a row or seven kills in a row, it's fine because in this game you can get seven kills dying each each time in between each kill but still rack up these battle points and, and still have that satisfaction of being able to bring in some airstrikes and some helicopters and various other bits and bobs. Um, 
but I decided it wasn't for me. Probably took it back to HMV on the Saturday and got to the counter and realised I had black ops in the wrong box. So um, I took it back home and gave it another chance and, and found I was getting into it. And uh, it's a much slower game than Call of Duty. You can pick a spot and camp if you want, or you can run and gun. They seem to have got that mix uh, quite nice, uh, quite nicely put together. So, needless to say, a couple of days went by, and then I tried to get a game, and the servers were denying me every time. You get messages like failed to find beacon and couldn't join server. Just frustrating. Just a big frustrating mess. And hopped on the forum, and it seemed it was a, a problem for everyone. Um, a patch has supposedly come out. I haven't had a chance to, to try it. But uh, for the last three days, I haven't been able to get a game at all on, on home front. Massively disappointed. One big bugbear for me is though it's from the same people who made Frontline Shields a while, and that was a shocker. That was terrible. I don't know everyone else's opinion, but when I played that, I played it for half hour and I just stopped because it was just... It was boring, it had glitches all over, and the online, it sounds exactly the same as Homefront. You couldn't get a game for it to stop it, and when you did... There were people just camped up, shooting you over and over again, and that just completely ruined it for me. So I'm, I'm not going to pick this one up. It, it seems crazy to me that a game could make its way out there um, and not have these things ironed out. Connect, connecting to, to servers and, and people being able to join friends in games should be the very basics that you, you get right when you, when you put a multiplayer game out there. I mean, we, we throw around terms of like broken the game is broken we say that all too casually these days but this this really was in a poor state last week and to be seven seven days seven days into the life of a game and not be able to get online is is terrible poor. it's a real shame because the way you described the multiplayer sounds great it sounds like something i'd really like to live at low um do you think though that because of the sort of state of the reviews it's had how do you think the online community will be sort of sustained over time i think you know we we fall into the trap of uh, being on the forum all the time and, and forget that we are enthusiasts we you know we're the, the kind of people that are very critical and you know expect a certain level of support in games i think the people that are out there that have picked it up will probably keep trying to to get online with it and will keep trying to give it a go if it doesn't work for them i i, I never thought it was going to be a big seller anyway it was it seemed very odd to me that thq would come out and say it's our our most pre-ordered game ever i don't think i've ever heard of any game company ever ever doing that so it seemed strange from the off um yeah i wouldn't be surprised if this is in the bargain bins within uh a month if that it is a shame because the, the concept is 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 pretty sound not everyone is going to go into a first person shooter and get 10 10 kills in a row you know some some of us guys just don't have the uh the reaction times of um some of these kids and it's it's frustrating so to to get into a game where you you can comfortably do as well as uh someone who's a demon on cod it's nice it's a nice refreshing change yeah it's about honing honing your uh, your craft each time and refining um and that's that's why I think we we have to be at a crossroads for these games. You know, something's got to give now. They've got to either do something radical or meld all of these games together and come out with the perfect first-person shooter. Right. Well, that was this month's gaming podcast. All that's left for me to do is to say thanks to Ben. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, bye. Stephen. Thanks a lot. Cheers. And Steve. Cheers. This is Mark Bottright. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next month. 
The AV podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV podcast is copyright M2M Limited.